Hello, Internet. It's Tori. You're listening to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. For updates on when episodes go live, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. To join the discussion, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash CosmereCast, where you'll find an invitation to our Discord server. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. Joining me this week are Craig. Hello. Dave. Hello, Internet. And Tori. Hello, Internet. And we start every week with good things, so Craig, what's your good thing this week? Well, uh, this week I'd like to celebrate something that apparently is uh, 25 years old. So it's a special 25th anniversary. It came out 25 years ago, I believe, in the U.S. It had a release date, as you guys can guess. I'm talking about a video game. Not only any video game, but the video game, Chrono Trigger. Guys, it's so good. I have never once seen you. I've never once seen you stream Chrono Trigger. I have no proof that you played it. (laughs) I should. I was watching some videos on it uh, earlier today, and I'm like, you know, I really feel like another playthrough. So I have seen the cartridge. The cartridge exists in his house. I've seen it. It does. That's as much as I can confirm that Craig has played. I can play the official Super Nintendo on my uh, Super NT. Um, but I also, I never beat the DS version. Like there's like an extra dungeon that's supposed to tie together with, uh, Chrono Cross. And I never, I never beat that or saw that, but man, the game is so good. It's, it's probably one of my top, uh, Super Nintendo games. And as you guys know, I do play a lot of Super Nintendo, so it's up there. Um, like everything about it, the atmosphere, the music, the characters, the story, I have such fond memories and. I don't know what it's like to like play that game now for the first time because I get I got to grow up with it. I was like 13 uh, when I first played it. And I just remember I actually I borrowed it from Blockbuster like we didn't own it because my dad didn't really buy RPGs. So I borrowed it and I played it for like 36 hours straight. I'm not sure if I slept, but I played it. And, you know, you could see how much time you took. At the end, I mean, okay, I did take some breaks because like, you had to eat, but uh, I pretty much played it for like the whole point in time. Like I could not put it down at all. I'm so good, guys. Well, yeah, so because good. you had to finish it before you had to take it back to Blockbuster. Very true. That's how life worked back then, kids. <laughs> so highly recommended if you've never actually played Chrono Trigger. Uh, I would say somehow find a way to play it because it's on a bunch of different systems and stuff like they released it for playstation of course it came out on super nintendo there's a ds version i think you can play it through the square store now they they like re-release they always re-release it they don't make sequels they just re-release that game they made one they made two does radical dreamers count they never actually officially released that well they made chrono cross they did, which is no, they a weird made, sequel. They made Radical Dreamers, and then they named it Chrono Cross. Yeah, it's 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 a weird, fuzzy thing. But it's so good, guys. All right. Uh, Dave, what's your good thing this week? All right. My good thing this week, uh, it's the last recording of the month of July. My birthday is impending, so I got one more day for you for the year. And this is a a much lesser known Dave than the ones I brought to the table already. And it is a cartoon called Dave the Barbarian. 
Oh, I know someone who likes that show. Craig's wife and sisters. Craig's wife and sisters in law love this show. It's true. And I, I rewatched some episodes, and it's not as funny as first time I saw it, but it still holds up, and I still really appreciated it. Uh, there's some really good voice talents in there. Estelle Harris and Tress McNeil are standouts. Uh, and I mean, Tress McNeil's in like al- almost every cartoon you've ever watched. She's amazing. Um, and it's still Harris being Costanza's mom from Seinfeld slash Mrs. Potato Head. Uh, so it's just the really silly, sarcastic, uh, self-aware show with a kind of funny narrator who's taking things slightly more seriously than the characters are. And it really reminds me a lot of Steven Universe before it got serious. Like the bulk of season one of Steven Universe, how you've got this. You've got this kind of you have hints of a high fantasy hiding behind the slice of life and gag of the week episodes like there's stuff there, but the focus isn't on the fantasy stuff. It's it's on the humor, uh, like the beginning of Steven Universe. And this show, actually, when I went back to rewatch it, I was like, wow, this show looks really old. It actually premiered in 2004 nine years uh nine to nine and a half years before steven universe actually came out just like the animation style i could tell looked really old and i was surprised that it was actually that old because i think i probably watched it in 2009 when it started airing uh reruns on disney xd or something but uh yeah really funny show it's it's worth checking out watch a few episodes and if it's up your alley then Hey, there's one whole season of it you can check out. All right. Uh, I, for my good thing this week, am not piggybacking on Dave's Dave of the Month. Uh, instead, I brought my own Dave, uh, and that Dave is Dave Wolverton, uh, who also writes under the name David Farland, and I have three touchstones for what I know him from. First, under Dave Wolverton, he wrote uh, one of the better Star Wars novels, uh, which is The Courtship of Princess Leia, um, under his David Farland uh, pen name. He wrote a series called The Rune Lords, which I have read at least one book of, maybe more. I honestly don't know. It's been a while. Uh, but it has a very interesting magic system where uh, people can like pass on certain like physical attributes from themselves to someone else, uh, which is... It's it's interesting. It's like it's it's a nice hard magic system, uh, in much the same way as a lot of Brandon Sanderson stuff. The third thing is that he um, used to teach writing at BYU, and one of his students was Brandon Sanderson. So Dave Wolverton. Nice. It's a neat tie-in. Yeah. Um. So Tori, what you got? This week, my good thing is Mario Kart in all its incarnations. Mm. I just. Yeah, I, um, well, so a friend, uh, brought his Switch to work. I I told you guys recently how I destroyed everybody at Smash Brothers, right? That happened. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I need to know who's your main for both Smash and Mario Kart. Oh, well, so on Smash Brothers, my main is Game and Watch, but, uh, (laughs) they hadn't, 
they had an unlocked game and watch on on this system that I was playing with uh, last week. No, that was two weeks ago. That was a while ago. Gosh, I don't remember when it was. Um, so I ended up playing with Kirby, who who is my sloppy seconds, and uh, I I do a good job at Kirby. But on Mario Kart, I like to use Shy Guy on the motorbike, and um, but so yeah, my buddy broke out his Switch and was like, "Hey, what should we play?" And I was like, "Oh, let's play Mario Kart because I didn't realize that the Switch version of Mario Kart is just the Wii U version, but prettier." Um, so I thought it was going to be a bunch of tracks that nobody recognized and we would all be equally bad at it. But instead, it was this version I had already played and basically memorized, and I. <laughs> wiped the floor with them and it was very satisfying uh scott but, uh, Watts talked about the switch version and like how the enhancements were cool he's a youtuber that talks about video games yeah the switch one's pretty good i think i'm not but familiar he, with that youtuber he talks about how like they wanted a new one but they actually just got a really good version of the wii u one and they were like okay <laughs> But uh, so it had been a long time since I played Mario Kart for for no reason. I don't know why I hadn't played it in a while. I just hadn't. So then when I got home after that experience, I decided to play it some more at home. And I've really enjoyed it. And it's a lot of fun. And you should play games that you enjoy more often. Everybody listening at home that you have Tori's permission to goof off and play some video games today. Yeah, don't. It's good for your soul. Don't let Twitch chat rope you into playing La Mulana hard mode. Uh, um, for for Mario Kart, uh, I've seen some interesting videos about the design of the game and how adding things like the blue shell, even though it can be frustrating, is actually a good thing. Oh my so. gosh, the, um, the um, Zelda stages that they added as downloadable content on the Wii U version, and they are I also available that. on the Switch version. I don't know if it's DLC or if it comes with the game, but... Um, the first time I played one of the stages, the the Hyrule Castle stage, there's um, the little crystal switches that, you know, in the Zelda games, you usually have to hit with like the boomerang or the hookshot and they change color and it causes stuff to happen. The crystal switches are in the Mario Kart stage. And I remember the first time I played and and you hit the crystal switch and it makes the secret noise. And I was like, this is a puzzle. This, there is a puzzle in this track, and it's going to unlock something, and it does. It unlocks a shortcut if you hit all the switches, and I was so stoked when I first <laughs> discovered that. It was like, okay, I'm going to hit all the switches as I pass them by, and then, oh, there's, there's a secret Wait. shortcut. I was, I was so excited. So do you use, like, green shells, or do you just, like, run into them? You just run into them, I think. Okay. I don't know. I haven't played that stage in a while. I'm just remembering the first time I did play it. All right. So now I am going to play that stage again pretty soon, I think. Uh, let's get to the chapters because we have a lot to cover this week. We uh, do. So, Dave, you read three chapters this week. Please tell me about them. All right. This week, we're going to cover chapters eight through ten of Alloy of Law by Brandon Sanderson. Let's begin. Chapter Broadsheet. Did they sail to the origin of storms? Seafaring people. Unknown metal. Coachman's Union Plus. 16 <laughs> tips to ward off the boogie marsh. <laughs> Faceless immortals are Chandra. Feltry sounds familiar. The horse people might have fatality statistics, but the car people have a fair and scientific study. <laughs> Gangplank wearing a mist cloak. 
Wow, this is the first of two League of Legends characters I'm going to talk about today. Um, <laughs> so we get some stuff on the broad street. It was pretty cool. So apparently there's this nation of people. There's, there's just a pirate. They're pirates. There's pirates in this. And we get to hear about them in the broad sheet. Murdered by and... pirates is good. <laughs> is that Futurama? The Princess Bride. I know that the guy was... Uh, so they, the pirate people have an unknown metal, right? So we also go to like... There's this this boogeyman or boggy marsh or boogie marsh, and they're like, "Here's sixteen wards to keep Iron Eyes from visiting your house or something." Or like, when you die, they they call it going to meet Iron Eyes or something like that. Yep, and you better get sixteen. Sixteen one tips. short. Yep. Which either this thing the pirates have is a seventeenth medal, or they just don't know about all sixteen medals, but. There is significance to the number 16, apparently. So whatever. I don't know. I don't care. Uh, there is also reference to these things called the faceless immortals. Like this wife comes home and her husband was dead, but her husband's there. So Condra. All right. Um, which actually. So I was wondering about hemallergy in this world. So you'd think there would still be mist wraiths, right? Because those existed before. Rayshek ascended, and there are Coloss, but they're descendants of Coloss, so they're not necessarily spiked today. But now this seems like we have Chondra, so either there is hemallergy going on that make the Chondra, or maybe the Mistborn actually just kind of evolved to the next form uh, naturally without the help of the spikes. So, so just as a reminder, the Mistwraiths, the broadsheet, the Mistwraiths. <laughs> originally were the old terrace men um uh keepers the the people who had ferrochemical powers back when Rayshek first touched the well of ascension that's uh, all the like there's a limited number of misrates unless they procreate which i'm not sure about but sure they uh, slurp a lot of stuff until they get too big and <laughs> split into two right okay just maybe. like kirby i mean they pretty much are kirby um yeah kirby does that like when you beat the level he splits into three kirby's and does a little dance so Andre confirmed (laughs) uh so yeah i don't know also i thought that only the chondra were the original terrace terrace men i thought that Uh, there were existing mist wraiths and then lord roller just turned them into mist wraiths and spiked them so the chondra were the first generation were his buddy pac-men that he, you know, they were turned into mysteries and then he gave spikes so that way they could have sentience. And then, of course, they take the other mysteries that are around and turn them into Chondra based on the, the different generations. Right. But the the Chondra, the first generation of Chondra are Rayshek's buddies. Yes. But there were mysteries before Rayshek ascended, right? No. No. Oh, OK. I thought he was just like, hey, I'm going to turn you into one of those things. Right. Ray Rayshek created the misrates from all the terrorist people who could do Farukaming. So well, that way, you know, they couldn't do what he does. I don't imagine no, he didn't turn every Farukamist or every what you call it man, Terrasman into a misrate. Yes, he did. He didn't turn every Terrasman, he turned every Farukamist. Okay, so they might have had dormant uh ferrochemical powers in their genes. Right. Correct. Which is okay. how we got people like uh, later okay on. okay so yeah is this a conjure i don't know this is a broadsheet 
Uh, Feltry just I can't words believe everything from. you read, man. I mean, there's, there are clearly two opposing uh, advertisements <laughs> on the same page. Uh, what's up with Feltry? Why do I know that name? Mike? I, th- I think it was uh, one of the nobles back in Era 1, but I don't remember. Oh, well. All right. Uh, so we've got the little horse people. And they have, you know, fair and scientific study. I think, think cars are going to be big someday. And then there's a picture of a pirate wearing a mist cloak, and he looks kind of like uh, Captain Morgan or Gangplank from League of Legends. Uh, All right. So that that picture, uh, I have two things on it. First off, that ties into uh, one of the one of the articles back on the the first half of the broadsheet from however many chapters ago. And two, that is our first like visible look at a dueling cane, and I hate it. <laughs> Well, that's Alamancer Jack's dueling cane, which he might just have a different style. I Captain still hate it. Jack Sparrowmancer. Go talk to Alamancer Jack and not, note his complaint. Not to dig back up on a conversation we had last week, but I hate it. All right, let's get to chapter eight. I, <laughs> I chapter eight it. Wayne's you World. It? No, I hate it. Back it. Out. Wayne's World. We finally, uh, get, uh, we finally get a chapter from Wayne's perspective, and it's a treasure. Uh, Wayne's World. Uh, Wayne would rather be wearing a fez. Good cop, fake cop. Wax can be useful on occasion. What about the scone? Bringing dice to a card game is like playing checkers on a chessboard. Interview time. Meta squealing. Give him the clamps, clamps. Sindrin. More like Singdrin. All right. We got Wayne, and he found a constable hat, and he doesn't like it. Uh, my, <laughs> my theory is... Um, I did not cast Matt Smith as Wayne. I, I almost did, but I, I went in a, a little different direction. And uh, so my theory is that Wayne is Matt Smith and the, his lucky hat that he lost is a fez. So hold, hold on a second, though. Um, are you sure it's Wayne thinking that or is it the character that Wayne is being that thinks that he doesn't like his hat? All right, moving on. So Wayne is dressed like a constable. That's just that silly question. He's not audibly talking about it. He mentions it like pinches his ears and stuff. Maybe he's getting in the character. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. Okay. Do you have a different view? That he's getting in the character. No, that those were Wayne's thoughts because he's thinking about like how wearing an uncomfortable hat would affect how Connors, as he calls them, yeah, uh, would see the world. Right. That's, that is that can't be an in character thought. That has to be a Wayne thought. Well, it's a Wayne thought that he's thinking to make himself being ca- like, never mind, whatever. So he dresses, as, Wayne Wayne. he dresses as a constable and he goes into the station where uh, they've captured some of the vanishers. And he pretends to be a big boss from another district. And through a combination of the right disguise, the right accents, um, confidence, he passes himself off as someone that they need to transfer the prisoners over to since he's from District or Sector 8 or whatever, Octon 8. And that's, you know, where the original uh, capture to steal innings were. So, you know, they, Segment 8 has the right to prosecute them and they're about to be transferred. But, hey, if you let me just interview them for 15 minutes, then, you know, I'll, I'll go easy on you. And so something about so they go out to get scones and Wayne's like, can I have one? And constable of sector, wherever he is, two, three, two, I don't know. Uh, he's like, 
you want a scone or a prisoner? And when, I'm like, Wayne doesn't immediately like say anything about the scone, but we'll get back to it. We'll see how that turns out. So he goes in, he interviews one guy who's uh, got a little more salt and he's certainly not going to talk, but uh, Wayne uh, pretends to be a, uh, pretends to be high in the chain of command of the vanishers, like so high that this guy hasn't even heard of him. And um, the the person, the criminal that he's interviewing, it's like, well, I'm not going to say anything, but Sindrin might. He's kind of wet behind the ears. Uh, so yeah, meta squealing. He's squealing about who the squealer is, and then he does get to interview Sindrin, and he just like he sings straight up. And Wayne even plays him so hard. He's like, not only does Wayne pretend to be a vanisher boss and get all this information out, he like totally calls Sindrin out. He's like, you do realize that I just got you to tell me everything about your last base of operations, the name of your recruiter. It's a good thing I'm on your side, kid. <laughs> uh, so he he sets up Sindrin to wait until evening and then start talking to the coppers so that uh, Sindrin can get off with a light sentence to, with, for co- cooperating with the constables. But uh, it's kind of funny. It reminds me of um, the only example I can pull off the top of my brain is Pokemon. How like every time you you make another step in your journey in Pokemon, your rivals like just got finished there. So like Wax and Wayne are Gary, right? They then <laughs> <laughs> this is how this is how they get Ash to arrive on the scene right as they're leaving so that they, they, the constables can just feel like they're a step behind. But he also, you know, he also feels bad for Sindrin because, uh, as we'll find out in Chapter 10, uh, Wayne, at a young age, probably about Sindrin's age, was on the path to a life of crime. And he probably, you know, sympathizes for Sindrin and wants to help him get out of this lifestyle. And that's the end of Chapter 8. Neat. So we have gotten... Another perfect. I remember you were worried, Dave, that we were only going to have wax viewpoints. Yeah, there were a lot of them right off the bat. There were, but we got a little bit of uh, Marassi, and now we got a Wayne. We got we got to see what they think, which is neat. This might be the first book where the um, the prologue and chapter one had the same viewpoint character. I guess Elantris's prologue didn't have a character. Um, and I think yeah, that was in, sort of an omniscient narrator. Yeah, I don't in even Mitch, remember that. Mistborn, oh, eternity ended ten years ago. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. that that like two paragraphs or whatever. Uh, Mistborn, we had Kelsier in the prologue, and then I think it goes straight to Vin in chapter yeah, it, one. It wasn't. It wasn't a Kelsier viewpoint. It was. Uh, oh, it was Dennis. It was, it was menace. I don't remember. It was one it of. It was the, one of the nobles, right? No, it was one of the one of the ska. Oh, right. Okay. Menace was there. Maybe it wasn't his viewpoint, though. Or maybe it was a Kelsier viewpoint. Kelsier. No, I, I remember there was there was a noble viewpoint. He was, you know, looking at the ska and talking with the um, ministry official. Uh, obligator. Okay. No, yeah. it was it was a bunch of different viewpoints, but none of them were Kelsier. They were just all of Kelsier. Are you sure? I feel like Kelsier had to have been the viewpoint character for Brandon to write. Kelsier burnt tin. Yeah, he he had to show off the magic system because none of the viewpoint characters would Kel have of the doing understood 
Kelsey are using Alamancy. Unless okay. maybe it was like a, a no, but I don't know. Maybe it, I think we should move on because none of this is important. But the deep dive. Ready for chapter nine? Please. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Chapter nine. Wax and Marasi are having a boring smart people moment about philosophy and criminal theory when Wayne busts in and the studio audience cheers their lungs out. He's the Kramer of this book. <laughs> uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> did you succeed? Yeah, bro. Got world record in scone percent. <laughs> <laughs> i just realized that duster means trench coat oh. um so in in the first chapter where wayne shows up and it says he has a duster i thought it was because he was showing He's up talking? as an investigator or something and that he had like a duster to dust for prints like it a, a duster is actually an article of clothing similar to a trench coat hey dave you yeah. know what that reminds me of that reminds me of the fact that the guy on the right of the cover is no, wearing a duster. We're we're not going into that. Um, okay. Scott Pilgrim, the maid comes on on Monday and she dusts. <laughs> <laughs> she has the weekends off, so. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, it's Friday now, and she has weekends off, so Monday. What's right? The Monday? <laughs> <laughs> there it is. All right, duster. Bet you guys um, can't wait for my cast choice. All right, Marasi is ineligible, inedible, and illegible. That's why I can't say her name right. Oops, poison. Wax. Oops, all poison. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I doubt the tea was all poison, but maybe. I, oh, oh, well, uh, what's his name? Tel- Telemune? Teleme? Teleme. He, like, quickly turns back once Wayne grabs the tea. He's like, I got to make another one. Well, yeah, he's a good butler. He has to make sure all of the guests have a beverage. And he has to reapply the poison because Wayne stole it. Wayne stole the poison or stole the tea? Wayne stole the tea that had the poison. Anyway, let's, poison. let's keep going. We'll talk about it. Wax keeps steel whenever he thinks he might be in danger, a.k.a. when he works with Ronaldo, which is all the time. <laughs> Alfred is elf dead. Blarick. Now you've lost me. I have no idea what that is. Okay. Uh, Wayne Burns. <laughs> so there's an explosion going off. So Wayne Burns commercial loy because it's like Bendeloy, but he always burns it to commercials break. For a commercial break. Yeah. To yeah, stop the program right. and go to a break. Yep. So it's Bendeloy is now called commercial loy. Uh, yeah, it's totally FTL. Um, like, <laughs> quick pause. All right, this explosion's about to hit. Do I have enough time to wait for the cloaks to come back up, or do I need to, like, shield, or can I, like, <laughs> or can we FTL it? <laughs> uh, but it doesn't pause completely. That's pretty cool, because the explosion is expanding, even while they're in the time bubble. And because the explosion expands so fast that it's actually visibly moving slowly while they're in the time bubble and Marasi keeps pointing it out and Wayne and Wax are just like yeah whatever like they're used to this <laughs> oh the explosion's never... getting yeah we know it's it's fine don't worry about it <laughs> but they never do quite adjust to people trying to kill them uh Wayne saws a hole in the floor to drop down and avoid the explosion well the Sander explosion TM is already over Tillamay yeah. tried to kill dude three times. Great. Now I have to remember stuff. Or you guys can just tell me. Uh, it's, it's all in that scene. Wayne gets a mist duster. Uh, gross burnt skin peeling sound. You guys ready for it? 
No, I'm, I'm just gonna mute. Or yeah, I'm just gonna <laughs> mute it during editing. So all right, then pretend I did it. Uh, okay, <laughs> I had something prepared. I mean, I did. I said it, and Mike muted it. Most of the house dudes and dudettes are alive or missing. Someone had been watching Waxilium all along. Uh, so yeah, the main point of this chapter is uh, the butler did it. Any questions? That's legit. That, that is it. <laughs> So, so you're asking the three times. It was in that scene. He tried the poison wax, then he tried the shoot wax, and then he tried to blow up wax and co. Three times. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, one thing I want to point out. I, I don't like how Brandon does this. This is a part of his writing style that just has kind of turned me off really since as long as I can remember. So uh, Tillamay pulls a gun on, um, on wax. And rather than introducing the gun to the scene or talking about that he has a gun or he's about to shoot. Like Brandon will say, uh, Tillamé pulled the trigger and he'll use a definite article, which usually refers to an element or like, like usually if there's the trigger, like it's been introduced. So like, I always feel like when Brandon does this, that I miss something and I have to go back and reread it. Um, I guess like the kind of the point is that it's like it's so it's sudden it's supposed to grab you, but it really just makes me feel uneasy every time he does it. If I have like one running uh like dislikable thing about Brandon's style is this his his use of definite articles where I don't think they belong. So how how should it have been phrased? He pulled a gun and pulled the trigger. Like he or right. something like since the so scene... he introduces the gun first and then the, yeah there's who's, no mention of a gun whose pov is the scene written in wax okay then the gun shouldn't come into play until wax notices it therefore the trigger shouldn't come into play until wax notices it therefore the thing we should be told about is the sound of a gun of a gunshot right he pulled a trigger not the trigger that we have no context for so like I and again it's just it's oh, hold on I I get that it's supposed to grab me but it like it grabs me the wrong way I thought, and makes me feel like I missed something in reading I thought the scene was described such that uh, Teleme pulls out a gun Wax notices him pulling out a gun so he makes his button on his coat pop out then he pulls the trigger and he gets hit at the same time which causes him to miss his shot so Wax is in motion before the trigger is pulled. Well, maybe I did legitimately miss it this time, but Brandon uses this use of definite articles often. Yeah. And I don't like it. It makes, I don't Ew, know. Ew, goblin. I think it's, it's having the intended effect on me, but I don't like the effect that it had. Mm. Okay. So he's doing it on purpose. So, like, I, I respect the fact that he's writing it this way and understand why he's writing it this way. I just, like, I'm just, like, so meticulous when I read sometimes. This is why it takes me forever to read sometimes, because... I often have to read sentences two or three times to make sure I understood every little detail of the sentence, which is why I, I which is why reading comprehension was uh, my worst section on the SATs, because I have to do that and be like really anal about reading in a timed setting. So uh, but anyway, yeah, I I don't like it, but I, I get it. All right. Uh, the butler did it. What is that a reference to specifically? Can can you tell me? Sherlock Holmes, I don't know. Every Poirot. mystery ever. <laughs> I mean, there's there is an inciting incident, but if you guys don't know it, then I won't spoil it for you. 
probably um, the Simpsons. I'm no. <laughs> right. Uh, I'm going to guess probably, um, probably Agatha Christie would be my guess. Some kind of some Poirot book. I'd go with Sherlock Holmes. Tori, would you like to weigh in here? Because I, um, I suspect that you know it. I'm going to say Poe. No, it's a stage play. There's Which there's one? a stage play. I'm the name is escaping me at the moment. The name gonna, is I'll the look. butler did it. <laughs> <laughs> no, like at the beginning of the play they they like ask everybody not to talk about it outside of of the play that, because that, they want That was psycho. They want the ending oh. to to stay fresh for for people who haven't seen it yet and I'm I'm completely blanking on the name of okay. the thing, but yeah. According to the internet, the butler did it is commonly believed to have been coined by the mystery author Mary Roberts Reinhardt in her 1930 novel, The Door. No, that's not what I'm talking about. But, yeah, if that's it, then yeah, I guess it. I'm wrong. Okay. Oh, and in our chat, it says, Mike, you're referencing Toast of London, the best show ever. Uh, I'm not, because I'm not familiar with that one. But I could be accidentally. This is going to bother me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be distracted for the whole rest of the episode trying to think of the name of the stupid play. So, yeah, spoiler that's alert. If you want to watch whatever play Mike's talking about, spoiler, you've been spoilered. Sorry. It might be better if I just don't ever remember it and say it, <laughs> and then I won't accidentally spoil someone. So just any play you go into, assume that maybe the butler did it. <laughs> I mean, that's legit. That's what you should do now. We have been trained to keep an eye on the butler. Dave, were you keeping an eye on the butler? Did you expect this? No. Well, got you. Yep. All right, let's let's keep going. Chapter ten. Are we done with chapter? Oh, nine? I do real quick. Chapter nine. I made a joke about sawing the circle on the floor, but uh, really, what happens is that Wax increases his mass via Farukami to to such a degree that he bursts uh, bursts the floorboards underneath him, and then Wayne like almost dies and doesn't, just like always. And then he gets his skin. Oh yeah, and then a weird peeled skin off. peeling sound that um I I totally said and Mike edited out. You did. I can't I can't make it leave my mind. It's forever ingrained <laughs> in my head. I mean, you did hear the gross noise he made back in the last episode where a gross noise happened that I did edit out. Just use that one. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, there's one you you didn't edit. You didn't edit out the original one uh, with with a uh, shoulder soon. Correct. So go back and listen to that. It's similar to that. But I'll spare you. But longer and way more gross. Just you're welcome. <laughs> so yeah, we get, we get some neat little glimpses into uh, Wayne's power and how it works, and like, Wax pulling out his Farukami. How am I ever gonna start my career as a vocal sound effects maker if you keep editing out my work? Well, it's on my channel, so if you want the raw, unedited version, people know where to find it. Well, there it was. <laughs> I mean, I'm still going to edit that out. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. All right. Uh, chapter 10. Wayne finds a hat that is not a bowler. Further cementing my theory, if you want to check it out on Discord. Uh, Wayne should be called Waxillium Dawnshot. Don't know why he wants to be called Waxillium Dawnshot, but he says that he should be called Waxillium Dawnshot. Something about whiskey. I, I get the Dawnshot part. He drinks whiskey at dawn or whatever time he wakes up. But I don't know why he wants to be a waxillium dawn shot. All right. Bullets shouldn't be allowed to bounce unless you're playing combat on Atari 2600. Wayne shot a guy 
The cigars are Miles Dig Dogger's brand, but I thought Dig Dogger disliked smoke. Dig Dogger. Craig, does Dig Dogger dislike smoke? Dodongo dislikes smoke. Dodongo dislikes smoke. That's right. Dig Dogger uh, hates a certain sound, but not the same sound that the Paul's voice hurt. All right, that's enough. Uh... So chapter 10, we're checking out the hideout. The thieves have already cleared it out, left a bunch of booby traps with uh, dynamite, and so they scope it out. And they find some, they find some uh, what look to be red herrings left by the dudes, like aluminum scuff marks and soot on the windows and stuff. And the, I don't think they're the red herrings. Thing. It's just that's what the place was used oh, for. Oh, yeah, it was part of the front. Um, maybe I think the aluminum is was possibly a red herring, but like they could have been a hideout there and also actually forging aluminum weapons there. Uh, Too so bad the main... there weren't tinned anchovies, because then Fry could make a, a nice pizza. Yeah, or or sell it. Uh, Fish full of dollars is the name of that episode, if I recall. Uh, yeah, so there's like this truck bay. That they open up and it goes out into a canal, which is probably how they transported goods. Uh, they also find a c- cigar box, which I think like, this means something to Wax and Wayne, but not to Marasi, who is uh, our viewpoint character here. And I think uh, like the idea is that this is the brand of cigars that uh, old lawkeeper Miles like to smoke or something. And there's some numbers described in there. Maybe the significance was the numbers, not the cigars themselves. Who knows? Um, and we also get a little backstory on Wayne. When he was a wee lad, he started out in a life of crime, just stealing. And he was he kind of ended up without trying to be in a situation where he uh, had a guy at gunpoint and shot him. Didn't mean to shoot him, but he shot him and killed him. And uh, he Wayne saved him from the gallows. I'm sorry, Wax saved Wayne from the gallows. And he has the same backstory as LAPD Sergeant Al Powell. I shot a kid. Yes, except that he wasn't a cop yet. He was actually trying to rob the guy he shot. But he uh, he sends half of his earnings to the widow and the kids of the kid. And they constantly send him letters uh, saying that they will never forgive him. But he continues to send them uh, the, the money because he's uh he feels responsible for taking care of the deceased's family. They send them hate mail. Oh, and they find some porno. They do. they find a <laughs> I'm playing cards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but it's too old and dusty and smudgy. All the good parts are worn off. Uh, but they're gonna leave them for the coppers to find. Note for the eventual TV show slash movie. Uh, here's your chance for some really good R-rated material. Make sure those cards are fresh. But that's not in the story. They're not fresh. It's called artistic license, Dave. Yeah. And they don't they assume that the uh, they weren't uh, left by the thieves. They probably whatever occupied the building before those people probably discarded them somewhere. And that's the end of this week's chapters. All right. Then let's get into cast lists. Uh, Dave has made a request before we started recording that we all take a guess at who he picked uh, to be played by Jeff Bridges uh, of this book's characters. So, Craig, you're up first. Dang it. Uh, I want time to think, but I'm just going to go with Lord Harms. Uh, no, I actually have... You want me to tell you who I have for Lord Harms? No. No. Okay. We'll, we'll get Not there. Lord Harms. Nope. Uh, all right. My guess is going to be... Bloody Tan. 
Bloody, bloody tan. Okay, uh, good guess. Um, Tori, I'm going to let Tori guess before I answer. I mean, you can just uh, confirm I... it because you already said that Craig's was wrong. I know. I'm like, you well, pretty much confirm it's right. I didn't think of it until now to, to keep it a mystery. All right, go ahead, Tori. Well, how about I guess bloody tan then? <laughs> Why does everyone else get to be right tan. with me? It's not bloody tan. Tori, guess again. Or we'll get to it. Okay, the butler. The butler. Wrong again. Okay, uh, let's do cast lists. All right. Nobody got it. Um, let's do it in the same style we did with the um, Way of Kings, uh, which is Dave goes through his list first, and then in order, Craig, me, Tori, uh, we give who we have for that character. Once Dave runs out of people, we move on to Craig. Craig, if you have anybody Dave didn't have, we go through that. Then me, if I have anybody that neither of you had, we go through that. And then finally, if Tori has anybody that nobody else had, we go through that. Dave, please start us off. All right. Uh, these are in no particular order, just as I kind of thought of them. Um, okay. So, <laughs> Wax. First name I wrote down for Wax, based purely on the cover image of Wax, I wrote Justin Timberlake. Like, like, uh, like that's it? That's all what, you have? What era, JT? Because we have ramen hair, we have current day, we have sexy Buzz back. Cut. Like, where are we at? Buzz cut, JT, to match the, the cover on the picture. Picture on the cover. I'm sorry, but Wax on the cover doesn't have a buzz cut. Well, that's what I thought when I wrote this down. All right, Dave's pick for Wax is a mystery. Moving on. Justin Timberlake. Wait, wait, so are we each going to do Wax, or is Dave just going to do all of his lists first? No, you do Wax. You do who you have for Wax, I do who I have for Wax, Tori. So, going by the cover, um, because I I will preface all of my choices, well, not all, there's two of them, Um, I think the cover art's really good, and if I had to pick anyone to play my Wax and Wayne, it'd be the people on the cover, because that's how they look. But, given I can't do that, my pick for Wax is Matt Mercer, who it happens to be a voice actor. He does a lot of like anime and video games, but he looks closest to me as the guy on the cover. All right. Uh, my um, Wax. Also, go ahead. Uh, it, the cover sort of looks like a, a younger Tom Cruise. Well, Tom Cruise always looks young, but he has a little bit of Tom Cruise in him. If I look at the, the cover art a little bit, but I, I wouldn't want to cast Tom Cruise's Wax. No, the, so. the guy on the cover is Harry Blackstone Copperfield Dresden. We've established that. Sure, but I'm saying he bears a resemblance to Tom Cruise is all I'm saying. All right. Uh, My Wax is from Flight of the Concords, Men in Black 3, What We Do in the Shadows, Jemaine Clement. My turn? Yep. Gotta be tiny. More wainy to me. Well, we'll get there. Yeah. I'm doing a thing. I could. Okay. Okay. Tori? Uh, So for Wax, I cast Hugh Jackman because I'm getting some Van Helsing vibes from Wax. I don't know why. He'll turn into a werewolf at the end for no good reason. Got it. <laughs> I know. That I, I, I can no see it, actually. No, I actually, um, I really enjoyed the PlayStation game that went with that movie because there was uh, a trophy you could get if you made it through all the stages with your hat on the whole time. Like, there were, there were things you could do if you got hit hard enough or if you hit the floor wrong, you'd lose your hat. And so you'd have to go through the stages, like, without doing those things to keep your hat. Anyway, yeah, so uh, Hugh Jackman as Van Helsing as Wax for me. Uh, And would you mind also filling us in on Trampy Knight's list, who uh, did provide us with a list as well? Oh, yeah. Oh, I did not see that. Hang on. It's in cast list. 
Ah, so Trampy Knight would like Christian Bale to play Wax. I assume this goes back to our uh, long-running Batman joke. Yeah. But, uh, Bruce Wax yeah. and the boy Wainder. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dave, who's next? I wish I had thought of that, Mike. You okay. did <laughs> think of that, Dave. <laughs> Uh boy. So I had a couple I remember of different... saying that. <laughs> yeah, the poopy pants thing, I don't know. I it made a little bit of sense in context, but still not that much sense. <laughs> but you still said it. I apparently <laughs> did. I went and listened to the episode this morning. Uh okay, so Wax and Wayne, actually my first thought with Wax and Wayne was just to do Martin Freeman <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch again, like like I do for everybody. <laughs> Like they should just be like the the like the partners, like Docs and uh, Kelsey or whatever. Um, it's the same universe. You could make it happen. And and then I thought maybe Wayne should be a Time Lord. So I was like, well, I have to pick between David Tennant and Matt Smith. And I was leaning toward Matt Smith because of the obsession with the hat. However, I completely threw that out. And my choice for Wayne is Hank Azaria. Hmm. Okay, the voices, man. Right. Yeah. A very big part of Wayne's character is his ability to do different voices. And Hank, I, I originally started thinking maybe Billy West, um, but Hank Azaria has done uh, like live action films before. And Hank Azaria's different voices that he does are also a lot more distinct. Like Billy West does a ton of different voices, but they all have kind of like a, a Billy Westness to them. Hank Azaria, I think gets a lot uh, like better variety in the different voices that he does. So that's why uh, my final decision was Hank Azaria for Wayne. All right. Uh, Craig, who you got for Wayne? Uh, given what I see in the cast list, I'm a little little upset here because I feel like there's only one real choice. I actually have two people, but one real choice, <laughs> which is a young Robin Williams. Like, how are we not casting Robin Williams as Wayne? He that is, is a, a Looney Tunes character. Yes, yes, I like, see that's, it. That's him. If if there was anyone we had to pick in real life who was a Looney Tunes character, it's Robin Williams. You're right. Wayne. But that being said, I do have another character because I feel like he doesn't actually have the look of Robin Williams. So I would actually go with, uh, what's his name? Taron Egerton, who you know from the Kingsman and Eddie the Eagle. Uh, Eddie, is it Eddie? And Rocket Man, the uh, yeah, the the biopic for Elton John. I feel like he has the look of Wayne, which, according yeah, to my wife, yeah, is more is more of like a two hour long rock concert that happens to have some Elton John life stuff thrown in. I still haven't seen that. I guess, but yeah. So I feel like for the look, Taron Egerton, but for the personality and everything else, young Robin Williams. So. You want Taron Egerton to to play him, and then Robin Williams to ADR over all of his lines. <laughs> sure. Uh, all right. Uh, my Wayne is Taika Waititi, um, who Flight of the Concords, What We Do in the Shadows, Thor Ragnarok. Like, dude has worked closely with Jemaine Clement for years and years and years. I think they play off each other well. And... I, if you dye away the gray in his hair, he can look a full decade younger than Jimaine easily. Was he the landlord? Who was he in Flight of the Concords? I don't remember. Was he Doug? 
He wasn't Dave. Dave was Arch Barker and I still don't remember. Murray. Oh, maybe it was like the re- Murray's receptionist, maybe? Anyway, uh, Tori, who do you have for Wayne? Uh, going off of people who were good at doing impressions, I picked Tom Hiddleston, though I really like that young Robin Williams idea. It That's that's growing on me. Um, well, yeah, he, he is a bit of a Tom Hiddleston is a bit of a. Now, as far as the look, um, and I, I should have looked up this actor's name for us, but the guy who played Badger on Firefly. Like, I feel like that's that's Wayne right there. That's how he looks. Um, but um, anyway, Tranny now Knight. You, now that you've brought him up, I, I follow him on Twitter. He was great in Supernatural and completely blanking on his name. Yes, he was also in Supernatural. Mark um, Shepard. That's the guy. That's the guy. Mm-hmm. Who I actually tentatively had, because I, I didn't watch Firefly, so I didn't know, but he was listed on other people's cast lists. So since I wasn't aware, I couldn't. He didn't fit for me, but I can see it based on his... If I look up Badger, he looks like Wayne. Yes, yes, he does. Uh, and Trampy Knight picked a young Brad Pitt. All right, Dave, next up. Wait, wait, wait. We also have in my chat, XC Penguin, who says, Batman Michael Keaton as Wax and Beetlejuice Mike- Michael Keaton as Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> that that works. It does. It does. All right, next I have Steris. And uh, I was originally going to do Baby Nuvac or whatever, uh, Lilith, but I decided to go with someone a little younger for Steris. I have Christy Carlson Morano. Romano. Why did I write Morano? Christy Carlson Romano. I can't. I... <laughs> anyway, Ren Stevens. I don't know if she's been in anything since Even Stevens, but she's got that like kind of serious uh, stoic thing going on that I think would work for Steris. All right. She- Craig, I've never seen, but sure. Um, I feel like my picks for Steris aren't great. I don't fully know who they are, but I was trying to go for the look. So I have down Alice Eve, who does a lot of like weird sequels and other things. Like she was in Star Trek Into Darkness and Men in Black 3 and other things. I don't really know who she is, though. And I also have Rosamund Pike because I could not decide and I wasn't sold. I like her for Steris. I, I like her better there. for Moraine, but yeah. Anyway, uh, my Steris is Tessa Thompson. Do any of you need a, a, a fill-in on who Tessa Thompson is? Yes, please. I know her. Uh, Thor Ragnarok, she was Valkyrie. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, she I... was in, she's in Westworld. She was in Creed. Possibly Creed 2. I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. Like, like based on Thor Ragnarok, I could say it. She has a bit of that serious, no-joking thing going on. Go ahead, Tori. A serious, no joking thing. I cast Kiera Knightley because she she can do stuffy noble woman. She has done it in several <laughs> movies already before. Uh, Trampy Knight casts Uma Thurman. I like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can see it. All right. Next, Dave. The next Dave is um, okay. So I'm sorry, guys. I have to do this. I'm giving up on Fafin and. Casting Miranda Cosgrove as Marasi. There's, she'll just she'll get way more better characterization than Fafin did, and less than Fafin should have, but more than Fafin actually did. Uh, let's, so, let's be fair. Fafin's getting cut from any sort of screenplay. <laughs> no. So that being said, now now Miranda Cosgrove is available to play Marasi. So right. what, what is she from? I'm not actually familiar with her. Uh, iCarly and School of Rock. Okay. 
So, Craig, who you got for Marasi? Uh, my Marasi, uh, I have Haley Atwell, who you know as uh, from the ca- the original Captain America movie. Well, original, the new Marvel one. But uh, she's um, what's her face? The love interest, Peggy, Peggy Carter. Yep, her agent Carter. Please, thank you. A little respect. Uh, I also, because again, I can't decide. I'm so indecisive here. Uh, I also have Daisy Ridley, who you know from the new Star Wars films. She's the main girl. Ray Star Wars. Ray. <laughs> yeah, that's her. <laughs> All right, uh, Craig. I see someone in your chat has provided us with a Marasi. If you could. Uh, that actually, in, that was for Steris, Allison Brie. Was that for Steris? That was for Steris. Okay. Allison Brie. All right. Uh, my Marasi is Kiernan Shipka. Uh, who plays um, Sabrina in the Netflix The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. From, from also Mad Men, too, right? The the girl. Was she in Mad Men? I don't know. I didn't watch Mad Men. If that's the same, if that is the Sabrina. It is yeah. the Sabrina, yes. Okay. Uh, so, Tori? For Marisi, I went with Maisie Williams, who plays Arya on Game of Thrones. Mm. Um, Trampy Knight suggests Anne Hathaway. Hmm. Trampy Knight is blowing the budget on these on these cast picks. <laughs> I don't think he got the memo that we have to pay these actors. That's a Batman tie-in, I think. Okay, we do have one from my chat. Marissi as Natalie Portman. Prettier than Allison Brie, super intelligent, and can play kick-ass nerd, nerdy kick-ass, and ass-kicking nerd. All right. Uh, Dave, who's next? Uh, real quick, I don't know if I... You guys all cast brunettes as uh i guess you can just give them wigs or something but i i was always picturing um where was i i don't remember all right next uh hoid did anyone cast hoid no no I, we've already cast hoid yeah, hoid yeah. Covered, i'd let my hoid just slide hoid. all just right oh next we have my jeff bridges um so hoid woody harrelson obviously uh, next, we have Jeff Bridges as Miles, the old uh, lawman turned outlaw, perhaps. We'll find out. That actually works, I think. As our, I'll say for the mass bandit leader, because I think that's what we all put it. So it might be Miles, might not be. No, it, it's confirmed in the chapter. The cigars, man. The cigars. Uh, my casting choice for the mass bandit leader. I have two again. <laughs> Tom Hardy. And Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Okay, was Tom Hardy meant to be another Batman reference? Well, actually, yeah, a little bit of... um. Between the two, I like your Jeffrey Dean Morgan pick better. Yeah, that's why I'm like, I feel like he's better. But originally I had Tom Hardy for, uh, what's his name? Bane, that's the one. But I think I think Jeffrey Dean Morgan is more, more our masked bandit leader. All right, uh, my masked bandit leader is David Diggs. Uh, do you guys know who that is? No. All right, uh, he's in Hamilton. He plays, um, wow, completely blanking. He's one of the original cast members of Hamilton. Uh, he's currently in the Snowpiercer show on TNT that I refuse to watch because they turned Snowpiercer into a cop show. Wait. I'm so mad about that. Wait, really? Yeah. They made a TV show based on the movie, which has nothing to do with the movie. Uh, that was based on a graphic novel. Ah, okay. And they turned it into a cop show. Yeah. Police cops. Anyway, that David Diggs. Um, just, just look him up. D-A-V-E-E-D. I, I really got to see that. Right. First try. Got to see it. Uh, he my... should have been your good thing, Mike. He could have been. But I wanted to, you know, tie it into Sanderson. Anyway, 
Uh, Tori. My pick for masked bandit leader is Matthew McConaughey. I was thinking like his uh, dark tower character that kind of hmm. that does it for me. Um, okay. And Trampy Knight offers James McAvoy. Hmm. Okay. Uh, from my it... chat, we also have Kurt Russell. Yeah. Yeah. Specifically, Tombstone era Kurt Russell. Oh well, can I tell you guys about my Mister Suit? Because um, I was going for a Tombstone era Val Kilmer. All right, uh, Dave. Did you have anybody else? Yeah, I have a few more. Please continue. Uh, I've got Leslie, and I'm actually going to be a repeat on someone that someone just mentioned. I have Anne Hathaway as Leslie, and I think we can afford <clears> her because she's only in one scene. <laughs> A cameo. Actually, I think that really works. All right. Uh, works. Craig, who's your Lessie? All right. Specifically, Marina Sirtis in Fistful of Datas when she's the mercenary deputy. Uh, her. That's, that's, that, that's that Deanna Troy. The Fistful of Datas. It's the Old West episode. Time's Arrow? Arrow. That's Time's what? Arrow. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Time's you need Arrow. to watch TNG if you don't know what the heck I'm talking about. Fistful of Data is where they're on the holodeck. Uh, Worf and his son, uh, Alexander, go on a little vacation bonding thing on the holodeck to be a sheriff and his deputy. And then, of course, the holodeck breaks down like it always does. And they get <laughs> stuck. And Data is busy. Like, they're trying to, like, back up the Enterprise on his brain. So then it sort of goes the other way where all of the the holodeck characters become Data and it's a Fistful of Data. Anyway, Deanna Troy is in that episode. As a as a rogue deputy who comes in to help, and her that's Lessie. Oh, nice. Uh, Times Arrow is the one where they actually went to the old west, not went on the holodeck program of the old west. All right, uh, my Lessie is Evan Rachel Wood from Westworld, specifically from Westworld. She's been in yeah, other stuff, I, but I see what you did there. Westworld, Evan Rachel Wood. So, Tori, I went with Charlize Theron because she's beautiful and can also be like. A gun-toting old West lady, like she could totally pull that off. Oh, and uh, Talonel Ilin Stone Sinew uh, posted a picture of Troy from Fistful of Datas in spoiler-free episode discussion. Dave, if you would like to check that out. Excellent. Thanks. I saw it. Thank you. That works. Oh, uh, and uh, Trampy Knight offers Zoe Saldana as Lessie. Anything from your chat, Craig? Not this time. All right, Dave, keep going. Alright, uh, Lord Harms. I wrote Jeff Green slash Garland. I can't remember which is his real name and which is his character from Curb Your Enthusiasm, but that guy. The sidekick from Curb Your Enthusiasm, Jeff. I think his real name is Jeff Garland. Alright, uh, Craig? I do not have a Lord Harms. Uh, I have Patton Oswald as Lord Harms. And I like your pick of Patton Oswald. I do. Yeah, I like it. Tori? Um... I would like to suggest Stephen Fry. Also excellent. And, and what did Trampy Knight? Knight? Uh, Nathan Lane. I feel like all three of us kind of went in the same direction with this one. Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, real three, quick, three. I did too. My chat does have a Lessie, and it's Mary Steenberger, who mm, Bergen. Sorry, Bergen. Because <laughs> some Steenberg is from. From, uh, back to inadvertently quote steamed hams <laughs> it's an albany expression oh man anyway uh dave next 
Next to Reno, I've got uh, Dirty Dan, and I. It pains me sometimes that you guys don't play League of Legends, but there's a character. His name is Jin, J H I N, and don't look up a picture of him. That's not going to do it. I posted a link of like the the voice clips of this character, and it's that's just bloody tan all over the place. Like he's just he goes around shooting people and it's like this big show of like how he's killing people. And just, Oh my God. If you just go listen to a handful of the sound clips from the link that I posted from the league of legends, wiki, you'll be like, Oh yeah, that's a perfect fit. At least as far as like the character and voice goes. All right. Uh, so bloody tan gin from league of legends, Craig, I do not have a bloody tan. All right. My bloody tan is Hugh Dancy from uh, Hannibal because he can do the crazy eyes. Yeah, yeah. I thought um, Mads Mikkelsen would be a little bit on the nose for it, so Hugh Dancy is sort of a a discount Mads Mikkelsen serial killer guy. Uh, Hmm. So I picked Daniel Radcliffe, because I feel like he could do the crazy also. He could. He's got range. Uh, Trampy Knight suggests Steve Buscemi, who, he's got (laughs) the look for it. (laughs) Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the character he played on The Simpsons that one time. Uh, see, I was thinking uh, the character he played in that one Adam Sandler movie that I'm... Billy Madison? Billy Madison, yes. Oh, oh, I have a pick then. William Defoe. It's Willem. Yeah, him. <laughs> I always thought it was William. It has never been William. It has always okay. been Willem. Wow. There is no war in Ba Sing Se. The Green Goblin from the other Spider-Man movie. All right, Dave, do you have anyone else? Uh, a couple more minor characters. Well... I guess Tillamé isn't necessarily minor, but uh, I just wrote Butler from The Nanny, the 90s sitcom starring Fran Drescher. That guy, the butler. <laughs> Appropriate. I don't remember what he's like. I know I what that guy is. Miles or Miles or something. I don't know. The character. I don't The butler from it. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, Craig, did you have a a butler from The Nanny? I do not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, my butler from the nanny is Alfonso Ribeiro. Uh, okay, Carlton from Fresh Prince. No, oh, butler from Fresh Prince. No, Carlton <laughs> no, no, from Fresh brother, Prince. The brother, their cousin. He's like the son, Uncle Uncle Leo's son from Fresh Prince. They're right. They, they did have a butler, though, if I recall. They did, but that actor has since passed away. And I don't remember his name. And I didn't bother looking it up. Alfonso Ribeiro. So I, I just want to take this opportunity to point out that uh, the audiobook pronounces the butler's name uh, in the French way. So it's Tiom, uh, because the double L becomes kind of a, I don't know what you'd call that sound. It's Tiom. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit like that. And um, so anyway, for butler guy, however it's pronounced, I cast... Edward Fox, who you probably don't know who he is. I didn't know who he was. I had to look him up. But um, I kept thinking of the butler from the film version of The Importance of Being Earnest, which is one of my favorite movies. If you haven't seen it, it's hilarious. You should watch it. But he's he's just got a very brief scene towards the beginning of the movie. And I was like, yeah, that's the guy I want for our butler. So I, I looked him up and that's who I cast. All right. Uh, Dave, I believe you have one oh, more. Hang on, hang on. Sorry. Um, Trampy Knight would like to cast Peter Dinklage as the butler. Okay. And I have someone from my chat who says it should be Leslie Odom Jr. Yes. Yes, it should. He's also from Hamilton. He's Aaron Burr. Yeah, he was also one of my cast picks in uh, The Way of Kings. Uh, he was Sigzel, 
I believe I cast him as Sigzel. Anywho, Dave, I believe you have one, potentially two more. I haven't been keeping close track of your list. Um, my my final character is like the the constable captain that uh, they're Breton and whatever the guy that they're always foiling uh, at the police <laughs> station and all that. And foiled again. How, <laughs> how, how could you pick anybody but Timothy Mudson? Uh, easily by not picking anyone at all. <laughs> uh, which is to say that I didn't pick anyone for Lord Breton. Uh, Craig, did you have a, a Lord Breton? Oh my god, it's uh, Carlton Lassiter. Carlton Lassiter. Yes, we, yeah. had, we have Yo, two Carltons. That's it. That's it. I'm good. That's I, I agree. All right, Tori? I didn't pick anyone for him. Uh, how about it's Trampy Lassiter. Knight? Did Trampy Knight pick a, uh, a Lord Breton? Well, I don't think nope, he's a don't lord. Think so. He's a lord. Bren? Thought so. Dirty Dan. <laughs> so Trampy Knight and I both did pick someone to play Tarson, the uh, the big coloss blooded bandit. As did I, but first let's see if Craig did. Wait, who? who? <laughs> <laughs> I have I have Andre the Giant as Tarson. I need uh, someone who had like coloss blood. I went in a very similar direction, which is a professional wrestler. Uh, I've got Austin Maddelson. Uh, who in AEW wrestling is currently portraying the character of Luchasaurus, who is a dinosaur who wrestles. It's a thing. <laughs> I, I appreciate the name. Uh, Tori, who's your who's your I Tarson? picked Dave Batista. Pro uh, wrestlers all around. How I about, how about Trampy Knight? Uh, Trampy Knight picked Clive Owen, who, um, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to veto that because I love Clive Owen, and he needs to be like main character somewhere not just bandit leader number one you know it's true not a wrestler vetoed all right craig do you have anybody that we haven't covered yet um i have no one i would like to mention all right i think we've covered everybody that i had yep uh tori do you have anybody we haven't covered yet uh i cast someone as renette i i know Dave hasn't read about Renette yet, but it's not really a spoiler, so um, I like Kristen Bell. I also have a Renette. Michelle Rodriguez. Okay. Uh, Did Trampy Knight have a Renette? I'm not seeing one. No. Looks like no. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Uh, I think that covers Castless, unless anybody has anything else. We did it, Internet. Hooray! All right. This this one was shorter, but that's good. Does anybody have anything for Dave before we kick him off? Dave, do you have anything for Dave? Nope. All right. Have a happy birthday. Go eat breakfast. Bye, Dave. Happy birthday, Dave. Thanks for watching. Dave's gone. Play the thing. And spoiler time. This concludes the spoiler-free section of our podcast. If you are, as I am, reading along for the first time, we recommend that you stop listening now, as the following will contain spoilers for not only this book, but for other Cosmere books as well. There may also be general spoilers from any other source material. Spoilers begin now. All right. Uh, do we want to talk about anything before we get into the preview chapters for Rhythm of War that have started posting this week? And, oh, God, this episode is going to be three hours freaking long. Okay. Real quick, just to talk about the chapters. The only thing I want to mention, Telame, Telame, oh, my gosh, whatever. Tion. The butler, Jeeves, um... Clearly, he's working for Mr. Suit, who is Wax's uncle. Maybe he's part of the set. Maybe he's just working for the set. Either way, that is why he tries to kill Wax and Co. Because Wax is looking in 
to what they're up to, which is no good. Got it. And so Wax, there you go. That's all Wax, I got. I think Wax has started being suspicious of his uncle at this point, but not his sister or Correct. his uncle's wife, who we still haven't even seen. You know, that is a good point, because she apparently died in the carriage as well. I completely forgot she even existed. So immediately suspicious. Um, I think Wax has a blind spot when it comes to family. Like, he, he's going to find out Mr. Suit is his uncle, so he's going to have to accept his uncle's up to no good. But he's so blind when it comes to his sister that I think it's intentional that we're supposed to figure out in Bands of Mourning that his sister's part of the set, and Wax just does not figure it out. Mr. He's so good at finding clues and everything, but he has a complete blind spot when it comes to his sister. Now, another thing that came up in these chapters that I had completely forgotten about was that um, Wax had a cousin who had supposedly died before the uncle mm, did, was right. supposed to be the heir. Like, so was that he his actually die? Kid? Or it, that's what I understood. So, the, so that so, was his uncle's son, correct? That's that what died I think. from a disease. Huh. Or did he? Or did he? What if he had some allomantic powers? Like, that one might have been on the level, or it might not. I eh, did. Like, did he legit die? Or did he find out what his dad was up to and try to stop him and he got killed? Like, we don't know. We need another bug. Or is he involved and just played dead, like Uncle did? Right. Well, luckily, Craig, we're getting another book, eventually. It's going to be called right. The Lost Metal. It's on, it's on the list of things to do, but he's going to do the next um, Sky Flight Bringer. What? Skyward. The next Skyward novel first. Uh, all right. So do we have anything else regarding the chapters we read this week, or shall we move on to new stuff? Let's move on to new stuff. Yeah, we got to talk about the new stuff. All right. Um, as before with the Sylphrena interlude that came in the email, uh, I'm going to read a bullet point. Craig is going to attempt to translate it into what actually happened in the in the chapter <laughs> and potentially some discussion. Uh, so real quick, for those of you who are listening in and future Dave, uh, we are talking about Rhythm of War spoilers at this point because we got we got a prologue in chapter one to discuss. And so therefore, if you are waiting for whatever reason, now's the time for you to tune off. Uh, and once we get to it, we're probably going to be covering about the same like when we get to the, the actual chapters in an actual episode, we're probably covering the same prologue in chapter one then, because it's about the right length. All right. Sure. Shall we begin? Yes. Yeah. Prologue. The assassination of Gavilar Colon by the coward Zeth Sun Sun Volano. Is he a coward, though? I was a, making was reference to... reference. To, yeah. The, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward... Oh. What's his, what was his name? Robert Ford or something like something like that. Okay. Someone will correct me at some point, I'm sure. That's a given. And I don't get pop culture. Next. Drummer time. Win the livin's easy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I actually get that one. The Prescendi are taught they're they're running around with their instruments to set up for the party. Gavilar sucks. Yeah. Look. This whole prologue, as you mentioned, is Gavilar sucks. He is so bad. We have never seen this side of Gavilar, and he is just a jerk to Navani, and I do not like that he's a jerk to his wife. Navani to is a treasure and should be protected. Again, we'll have Navani. a second feast with Blackjack. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
there's always a second feast for the for the peasants and the non-nobles to eat at. And always stuff. another secret feast. There's always. Uh, put soldiers to work. Yeah, make the soldiers help set up and everything because they're just standing around doing nothing. Uh, seating chart. Navani has to make sure politically everything's handled correctly in the seating chart. A Sudan and the Master Artifabrian. Uh, so she, A Sudan, is chatting with the Master Artifabrian uh, when Navani sees him, and of course she wants to talk to him, but A Sudan ushers her away. Like, yeah, thanks for giving me that excuse to get away. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? That was the box that the Master Artie Fabrian had. Which we and don't we'll actually never find out know. what's in it. I, that was that was disappointing. I wanted, no. I also wanted to know what was in the box. I think I know what's in the box. You think it's the box from later? N- no, I think it's the the gem that's given to uh, Seth at the at the end when when Gavilar's killed off. Maybe Elikar sucks. Well, at this point in time, yes. Gavilar He's... sucks. <laughs> Wait, is that really your next bullet point? It is. Okay. Gavilar does something stupid to Navani again. Go on. Where is Elokar? I don't know. He's like disappearing because he's not very good at his mingling job. Somebody, in air quotes, drank all the wine already. Yeah, that's Dalinar. Uncommon figures. So I was assuming they're part of the Sons of Honor or they're the Heralds. They're and the given, Heralds. Given that we see later on it's Nail and, and another Herald, the uncommon figures are the Heralds. I think it's the Sons of Honor, because the Heralds are introduced as ambassadors from the West. Ah, true. And, so Sons of Honor. and these two are the only ones that uh, Navani mentions, uh, being that the uncommon figures, I'm assuming, are, are Sons of Honor, just right. coming in and out of the palace and getting a direct line to Gavilar. Because we know the Sons of Honor and Ghostbloods are at odds, but were they always at odds? What if they were working together at this point in time? Handle everything and everyone, which I That's believe is, is what you wanted me to use a MasterCard reference for. No, it's earlier on. They say for everything else, he had Navani. For everything else, there's MasterCard. But yeah, Navani's taking care of all the political details and everything. because she, She's well, good at organi- organization, even if she doesn't necessarily enjoy it. At this point, she's mad at Gavilar because and she wants to go find him, but she can't. Because the thing she's mad at him about is that she's making her handle, or he's making her handle everything and everyone. Yeah. And she can't go find him to be mad at him because right. she still actually has to do this stuff. Yep. Uh, imposter syndrome. Because she thinks she's just the backcountry girl in a Oh my gosh. Like, I got words to say about this whole thing. We'll get Navani to that. If Navani has imposter syndrome, what hope is there for the rest of us? Yeah, there, there's a whole <laughs> chapter that, that basically. Like, Brandon looked up the clinical definition of imposter syndrome and just had Navani think that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we found Elikar. Turns out he was just wearing a striped shirt, beanie, and had a cane and glasses. <laughs> there he is. Oh. He was there the whole time. It's true. Not, it's, it's, you looked there like ten times. There. You looked right at him. Sober Dalinar is sexy like a fire. It's true. Uh, all right. Next up, I have a like two paragraph quote that I would like to read and for us to discuss because okay. I, I think we're getting into some stuff here. Hit it. Being able to bring them back and forth from Braze doesn't mean anything. One said, "It's too close to be a relevant distance." It was impossible only a few short years ago," said a deep, powerful voice, Gavilar. 
This is proof. The connection is not severed, and the box allows for travel. Not yet as far as you'd like, but we must start the journey somewhere. So, the first... The first line there is one of the heralds talking to Gavilar. I don't know if it's Nail or if it's Kalak, but that's who's there. Uh, the Given second one is, deep... is Gavilar responding. Given that it's a deep, powerful voice, and the other herald is the, the scribe. The deep, powerful voice is Gavilar. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, oh, yeah, it just says one said. Okay, sorry, sorry. Being able to bring him back before, yeah, it just says one said. We don't know which one. Uh, but the point here is... Uh, I, based on, based on this and then some stuff they say a little bit later, I think that at least Kalak is trying to get out of the Rosharan system and he has some sort of a Fabriel that should allow that maybe, but I don't think we have enough information to work out how that's supposed to work because it does allow travel back and forth to Braze. Yeah. I suspect this is that there's the heralds have a connection to Braze. That's sort of how they work. They have connection with Breeze, and it has not been severed because although they gave up the Oath Pack, they just decided to continue living rather than dying to be sent back to Breeze. Like, they didn't really do anything to sever their connection with Breeze, so they c- continue to exist. So, therefore, they're sort of stuck in the Rosharian system because of the Oath Pack and keeping Odium there as well. That's or, what, that is my interpretation of what has been. Or they might be trying to get back to Ashen in order to hide from Odium and just be on a different planet that he's not looking for. Um, that's a possibility. But okay. the, the impossible only a few short years ago thing has me intrigued because that might be a reference to like the upcoming desolation and the connection becoming stronger because of that. Or it might just be that Artifabrian technology has advanced in the last couple of years to make this actually possible. I don't know. Is it something to do with the distance between the planets? Like maybe they're aligned properly? I don't know. Maybe. Don't know. It doesn't usually make a difference because in the cognitive realm, it doesn't matter much. Right. So. But there is still a mental distance, as in these things in the Rosharian system are mentally closer to each other to any other planet in the Cosmere because they're within one solar system so maybe that's why it's still too close to be a relevant distance i my interpretation is that they're not they're trying to get away like you said trying to get away from the rosharian system they they want out of the oath pack and they want out of the system because i think they feel like they're in danger while they they continue to be on roshar and maybe they can't go by way of shadesmar because they are cognitive shadows and something Mm. about that combination means that they can't go that way right yeah, that that could be legit. All right, next bullet point, because I think we've rung about as much as we can out of that one. Uh, Nail and Kalak, as I mentioned, those are those are the two heralds who are meeting with Gavilar. Yeah. Uh, this next bullet point, I want to dig into because we need to dig up an old argument, and I think I've got more info on it, which is, I spotted her handiwork earlier. Uh, this is referring to another herald. This is specifically her... Uh, I reread the prologue to Words of Radiance the other day, uh-huh. and that was the evidence that you brought saying that um, Ash wasn't at the palace because you said that um, Yasna soul cast a, a statue. She didn't. Something like that. What she did is when she went to Shadesmar, she found the bead for the hallway and made it form into a hallway. 
She found another bead for a statue and made it form into a statue. She didn't do any actual soul casting. The statue's still there when she comes back. So the missing statue is Ash. Ash did it. This is additional. Her handiwork is additional evidence for that. I I agree. This is evidence of talking about Ash because she was wiping out her, her face from a statue or something. I agree that this is exactly what they're talking about. So, boom, I was originally right. I went along with you because it sounded like you knew what you were talking about and you didn't. Ha. No, 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 no. I'm not I'm not saying that either. I thought there was something in Yasna's prologue sequence that um that was a reference to her misshape. I don't remember cuz I read that a few months ago. I'm sorry, but when we get to words of radiance, the prologue when Dave gets there, we'll we'll have a discussion. I just don't remember. I'm sorry. But I agree, they're talking about Ash here. All the Heralds, I believe, are at this party. They have to be. Okay, Talonella Lynn Stonesinew in, okay, in Discard said, Lol, it was me who said it was Yasna that did it. My bad. It's way more fun for me if I can rub it in Craig's face. <laughs> and I was True. just going to say that all the Heralds have to be at this party because everyone who is anyone is at this party. Yeah, even even Wit. So or Harold Harold count at this party is back up to four. We we got so so you think the other so I was going to ask that that's one of my notes here. Who the other Harold is? You think it's Kellek? Yeah. Okay. It's is there any reason that you think it's him? Uh, I thought we were told it was back in like the Oathbringer one. That Kellek's here. Yeah. That it's it's him with Nail. Like they're oh. the, they're the two. The okay. other two are Ash, who defaced a statue, correct. and um, Yezrian, who is the drunk hobo. Yes, correct. All right, next bullet point. You guys ready? Yep. Ready. Gavilar sucks. Oh my god, this is where he is. He does. He okay. sucks so bad. I hate him. Okay, hate here's him. my notes for this particular one. Oh, where the heck is it? I wrote it. Hold on. I'm sorry. I have a bunch of notes that we got to go over. While you're looking, I just want to Oh, he's totally gaslighting and manipulating her. That's what I wrote about Yes, right? Yes, because he's emotionally abusive and terrible. Because Navani is this strong, beautiful, intelligent, amazing woman, and he's got her so beaten down and, like, driven to tears, and this is what abuse looks like, people. Right. What Gavilar says to Navani here is why she thinks later on that she's not an artifabrian or a scholar. She likes to say she's a patron of them. That's because of this jerk making her think that way. She's and, and totally also, also by by not seeing to his kingly duties and forcing her to take over all of that. She's not. He's not leaving her enough time to do it properly like she right. wants to. Yes. Right, so, and then he comes out and says, and here you are over here doing all of this stuff that doesn't matter. And it's like, dude, this was those things were your job, and it's your fault she has to do them all. all right. So I'm sort of glad Zeth came around and decided to take care of him, because he's a jerk. About time. Next up. Good, good Zeth. Gavilar doesn't care if she cheated on him. He cares if people think she cheated on him. Yep. Yep, it's all about his legacy, man. Uh, speaking of, my next bullet point, legacy. <laughs> That's what he cares about. He wants to be better than the Sunmaker. Uh, next up, Amaram and Yasna, OTP. Oh, God. <laughs> Could you imagine? I don't uh, want to imagine. Yasna would have murdered him. Yep. Like, yeah. way it earlier. Like an accident. Kaladin's yeah. life would have been way better. <laughs> like, 
but Yasna's life would not have been way better. I don't know. She's still, like, one of the most powerful people but, who exist. Yeah. I think she can get away with murder. She'd have been fine. Yeah, she'd have killed him. It would have looked like an accident. And then she would have inherited all of his stuff. And I don't even think she needed to make it look like an accident. Like, she could do it publicly in front of people <laughs> and still be fine. Well, at the time, he's still likable. We didn't know how much of a of a manipulative craven that he was. Right, because back then everyone was thinking he was still honorable. Yep. Alright, my next uh, bullet point is the one that I posted as a little preview, uh, which <laughs> is gav i -lar. Oh my gosh. Sucks. Yeah, sure. Yes. Uh, next one. You know, this is interesting, though, because this is the first viewpoint we get of someone who really looked up. I mean, I guess down down. OK, so this is a viewpoint of someone who gets to see the real side of Gavilar. Everyone else looks up to him. Dalinar and Yasna, like they cherish Gavilar. So they, of course, have a positive view. Zeth thinks nothing of him because he's just a mark. So this is the first time we get to see the real Gavilar, sort of. Uh, next up. And we don't like him. Gavilar no. sucks times infinity. I mean, we already don't like the Sons of Honor, thanks to Amaram. So if we know how Amaram is, we sort of just apply the the features to Gavilar, because he's one of the main main Sons of Honor. Can you imagine if Gavilar had treated Navani that way in front of Dalinar? Oh! 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 Hey, you guys remember that time when Dalinar wanted to kill Gavilar and then didn't? Yep. I think we would have been man. back to that, except with a different ending. <laughs> yep. Dalinar, please, well, we get a happy ending eventually. Uh, next up, Death Gift Death? Is it someone's death day party? I hope there's cake. I don't actually know that bullet point. Uh, Navani, she wrote a prayer. Yeah, Navani uh, writes out a prayer with the, with the um, what are they called? Glyph glyphs. The glyphs, thank glyphs. you. Uh, with the glyphs for death, gift, and death. Oh. It's like, please give my husband death. Please, please. Mm. Uh, next up is accidental snubbing. That's Is that when she's covering for Gavilar running off to go ha have his meeting yeah. with Amaran? She wants to assure people that they aren't being snubbed on purpose. They're but being they snubbed totally by accident. Yeah. But they're being snubbed on purpose. Gavilar sucks. Gavilar is dead and sucks. <laughs> Man, don't disrespect the dead like that Zeth answered Navani's prayer That's true, he did And she doesn't even feel bad about that either It's sort of like, oh, that's just that's just the way it is She, did, she didn't feel grief Because why would you, with that manipulative jerk Missing spheres Yeah, where did they go? Well, we know where one went, which was the, the black one uh, Zeth grabbed true. it But there were a bunch of others And, nah. So is this your last bullet point? No, I have one more. Okay. Back to queening. Back to being a queen? Yeah. Navani's like, I'll I'll fake being sad for a little bit and then nope, gotta go gotta go back to being in charge. Yeah. And that's all the bullet points for chapter prologue. Okay. I have a lot to discuss about the prologue. Because there there's there this is dense with stuff. Now I don't have too much, I won't take up too much time. But uh one thing I wanna note is that all of the prologue viewpoints at this point have been from proto-Night Radiant people. I think they still are. Yes. So what I'm saying is Navani is our next Bondsmith. She'll I mean, bond, what? She'll bond the siblings. She'll bring Urithiru back. Yeah. And she'll be our next Bondsmith. Yay. Yep. Um, 
So, yeah. Uh, now, th- one of the notes I have is think about how Dalinar treats Navani versus this jerk and I how he treats... I have been thinking that the whole time. Like, Man, he Dalinar's cherishes so good to her. her. Like, it's not fair. I don't know. There's there's a couple of, of spots early on in, in her attempting to start a relationship with him where he accidentally does some Gavilar-type stuff, like forgetting about their meeting. Mm-mm, true. And like that's that's got to be triggering some flashbacks in Navani. Like he, he just needed the, he needed to come around a bit, and I was a little worried in Oathbringer, like and especially now after reading this, how he was sort of acting in Oathbringer when he was being affected by uh, learning about uh, Evie, um, and just and how Navani was running the show again and making sure she was doing the queenly stuff and making sure everyone was taken care of. And all that organization stuff. She was doing it again, which is what she did with Gavilar. But in this instance, Dalinar, I think, appreciates it where Gavilar is a jerk and doesn't think anything of it. And doesn't she call him out for it? And, like, he apologizes and, and like, actually so. starts doing better? Yeah. Which are two things that Gavilar never did. Mm, true. Um, On the other hand, he didn't buy her a fancy new toy. So... You know, little column A, little column B. So, so the big thing well, yeah, here is that Gavilar's buying the fancy new toy would 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 have been in lieu of apologizing. So, right. correct. That's part of manipulation. Um, the big difference here is that Dalinar respects Navani. Gavilar does not respect her, and this is clearly evident within this chapter. He has no respect for her. She was used just to produce a son and daughter. And that's it. Yeah, Delinar all... does does bring Navani in on basically everything the moment yeah. he decides that he should start trusting her. Like, secrets are gone. True. She's, she's and, part of the crew. And I'm assuming that that not. went a really, really long way for her. I do have a, I have a note at the end, since we're talking about it. Gavilar wouldn't bring her into the plans of the Sons of Honor. Like, he's not like, this is just none of your concern. But Delinar, she's part of the Knights Radiant team. Like she, chapter... Go ahead. I was just going to say, all of this prologue just makes me appreciate Dalinar more and his interactions with Navani. And of course, I appreciate Navani more because she has a lot of depth to her. Yasna kind of treats Navani the same way Gavilar does. Oh, well, not as much. Not nearly as much, and it's not coming from the same place, but... Yasna definitely does treat her in in a lot of the same ways that Gavilar did. Yeah, because Gavilar made Navani the bad guy, as far as Yasna was concerned. Like, there was the bit where he says, you know, you need to talk to your daughter about the Amaram thing. And Navani's like, why don't you talk to your daughter about the Amaram thing? And so I, I just feel like, because Yasna basically worshipped Gavilar, like, she loved her father, like... Uh, wrote the big biography about him after his his death, and um, mm. so I, I feel like Yasna is kind of uh, daddy's girl, you know, and and doesn't realize what a horrible person he was, and so if she's mimicking his behavior out of a place of hero worship, then you know, it's terrible. But we can't fault her for that. The only perspectives we have on Gavilar were from Dalinar's flashbacks, where that was before he joined Sons of, Sons of Honor, so he's sort of just this chief war leader type dude. And we have Yasna's biographies and her interactions with him, where this was after the Sons of Honor. But my 
my perspective of him was that he was an honorable person who was sort of following the way of kings and was down a similar path that Dalinar went, only he was forming the Sons of Honor to get the um, Knights Radiant back, whereas Dalinar has a different approach. But now I see he's up to so much more because clearly he's working with the Heralds. He's messing with connection. He's messing with void light. Like he's up to something big and it's clearly bigger than maybe even Roshar itself. But as to what exactly it is, we still don't know. But the point is this whole paints a a different perspective on Gavilar because all we had before were perspectives of people who, who liked him and respected him. Um, so I did have a note on what happened with the pouch with all the gemstones in it. Uh, did he give it to Amaran, perhaps? Well, he still had the pouch. The pouch was empty. There right. Was... Did he give the gemstones to Amaran? Is well, what I'm he, he still had at least one of them on his person that Zeth right. took. So... Correct. Eh? I know he meets. We, we know he meets with Amaran before Zeth does the killing. Ooh. What if two of those gemstones held the heart of the rebel and the other one that Asudon swallowed and then Amaram swallowed? That could be how it got there. That would that would explain how they got to Kolinar. Yeah. Hmm. So then Heart of the Revel has been very slowly working in Kolinar for six years. Yeah. I And I started getting that impression that that's the case. That it wasn't like a sudden, the Heart of the Revel's here. It's more like, just like all of the other big unmade, this has been happening over time. Um, I, I point right. out, Gavilar knows about Connection which is interesting that he knows about this big thing. Uh, we already talked about how he treated Navani, so I'm not going to go over that. I feel like what's discussed here, though, the way Gavilar describes himself talking about his legacy and everything, I feel like this is different than... We, we get a word, don't we? He talks to Zeth at the end of Way of Kings prologue, right? Like when he's killed, he talks about the the last words and tells uh, Seth First, he assumes brother. that... Uh... One of the one of the head people of the Ghost Bloods Correct. set this okay. up, and yeah. then brother, you must find the most important words a man can say. Right. So I feel like that's different compared to the the Gavilar that's talking here, who thinks his legacy is going to be bigger than the Sun Sunmaker, and it sounds like he wants to actually join the Heralds. Like he wants to be one of the Heralds, as the impression I got from the prologue. And I think he if, flat out says it that he wants. If, to if join he them. can unherald someone specifically Kalak, who seems to want to leave, then potentially he could acquire that in in a similar way that Vin acquired the Shard of Preservation. I assume it would mm. pass in a, in a very similar way. Right. Ooh, um, so- what? Hold on. What if the box is something from the, uh, the Irie? That helps form connection? Yeah, because we see something like that in Secret History. Right. What it's if it's what if it's possible. what if it's a connection box? Uh, it could be. Although the the box is also allowing for transportation, which is uh, one of the surges to go through. It sounds like it's allowing for some kind of transportation, maybe like the the gates work. Well, connection is is also like ties you to a place. Right. So if if yeah. you ramp that up enough in a very specific way, similar to how Fabrials work for other stuff, then it's true then yeah, it it could potentially just kick you over to the place that you have the strongest connection to. We know that the Heralds uh, use connection to make the people get to Roshar. Like there was connection was the thing that was used to get 
humans over to Roshar. We know that. We were told that. So yeah, it may, maybe it messes with connection somehow, and we know the Irie have something like that, or can at least make All something right. like that. I have a whole additional chapter of bullet points to go through, so shall well, we start on, on them? I'm almost done. I have a you couple have more had notes. so much time to get through this, man. Come on. Yeah, you had a lot of time for your bullet points. Let me get through mine. Um, oh, well, yeah, this is a big one. Uh, if Gavilar has a way to transport, what if he's still alive? There's there's no guarantee. I mean, we've already seen Yasna killed, and yet she traveled to Shadesmar and survived. What if the same things happen to Gavilar? Who's to say he's actually dead? And if he's still alive, what if he will become Odium's cha- champion? Well, then whose corpse was that? I don't know. Because Yasna didn't saying. leave a corpse. I'm I'm currently not willing to write him off as dead anymore. Given this chapter and this viewpoint, I'm like, there's more going on. Clearly, Gavilar has he's messing with connection. He has some sort of power, even if it's not necessarily surge binding. But he's in the know. And what if there's a way for him to survive his own death or at least become a cognitive shadow? Because he could become a cognitive shadow, in which case he's going to pop up again. I'm just saying, I think we need to keep an eye out because Gavilar might pop up again. Current theory, Gavilar might appear again. All right. Are you done with the prologue yet? Yeah. Okay. Chapter one. Kaladin, Shallan, Navani, Venli, Liren. Yep, How to get away with one. catching a spren. What? How to get away with catching a spren. That's my first uh, bullet uh, point. Yeah. Uh, they're not trying to catch a spren. Oh, oh. It's the little, it's Navani's lecture on Fabrial mechanics. Oh, okay, that's what you're quoting. Yeah, the epilogue. Yeah. Or not epilogue, the epigraph. Epigraph. That, yeah. Why do we keep messing that word up? I don't. Like, every time. All right, uh, Liren inspects a child for piracy. <laughs> for scurvy, but sure. Uh, Tinker Taylor Surgeon Spy. That's Liren who's doing a little bit of everything. Uh, specifically, spy work. Right, he's actually trying to help the resistance because uh currently uh they their town is was taken over by the fused and the other singers so they're behind enemy lines uh Liren writes a prescription for juice that's the help with the possible scurvy a primitive amber alert system looking for a missing kid uh the the ladies the rest of the ladies kids are missing right so they're missing, if, yeah. if Liren sees them he'll let her know yep that is it's an a amber very alert. bad amber alert system Mm. Well, they don't have cell phones, so... Uh, you can visit a storm shelter, but you can't live there. Yep, it's not great for staying... Well, it's good for staying briefly. Uh, it's been over a year. It's been over a year since the coming of the first Everstorm. That's when we are. So yeah, that, that gives us a definite timeline, which is great because the last two books have taken place over a relatively short amount of time. Yeah. So yeah, the, I think... the, the end of Words of Radiance to the start of... Rhythm of War is over a year. Right. I think uh, Oathbringer was within the course of what, like one or two months, maybe at best. Uh, Words of Radiance was. Uh, Words of Radiance Oathbringer was, was longer. Because we didn't have that many Everstorms pass. It was enough that they were trying to figure out the course of the Everstorm, but not enough for it to be like, this is definitely how it works. Oh, but it comes of, like Words of Radiance. Days. Words of Radiance had like the, the countdown being carved into the walls by Raran. Right. Yep. I think it started at like 1.30 or something, which is how many days? Alethi Singers 1, Herdazian Humans 0. So the 
uh, singers were able to, they were fighting against the Herdazians because they were mounting a resistance, and it looks like they have won. Uh, Liren questions his internal biases. And that he's questioning what he does and how he does it? Or that, I don't, I don't actually know what you're talking uh, about. He's, he's thinking about, like, the Parsman turning into the singers and, or... Oh, he's making sure yeah. to call them singers so he doesn't well, accidentally say that out loud. What, okay. What happened? I don't remember. I don't have it open. Oh, well. Moving on. Uh, Liren is Alan Alda from MASH. Um, sure. He's a surgeon during he's, wartime. He's a surgeon during wartime who absolutely hates even the concept of war. Yep. And is extremely vocally opposed to it. Yep. Uh, Liren meets New Lopin. That's the Herdazian general who is mounting the resistance. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. Uh, oh, it's because he had one arm. There's a one-armed refugee. <sighs> okay, yeah. Uh, you could cut the mental shock in here with a scalpel. <laughs> but you can't. That's the whole point. You can't do surgery. Pod 6 is full of jerks. Tent 14 is full of suicide watch. Mm, that's where he sends the guy who suffered from mental shock because it looks like he might be suicidal. I'm sorry for your loss, the stone said. Uh, Liren is referred to as being, what, stone-hearted, stone-faced about always saying the words, I'm sorry for your loss. So it doesn't sound like it. But he says those words. Does he feel them? He has the compassion of a stone. It's the quote. Uh, Plague Spren. That's where the um, the singer leader, or whatever she is, she thinks that they are the ones who caused the plague. But Liren, of course, knows better. Liren spouts some straight up nonsense. Of course Spren caused disease. <laughs> there you go. Bold of Brandon to set up a plague plotline now, even though he almost certainly wrote it well before anything COVID-related started happening. Right. I was so, thinking that. Oh, man. Yeah, it's so relevant now, and maybe that's allowed him to write this prologue. But uh, the, the plague they're referencing that's new, coming from the West, that's the common cold that the world hoppers brought when they came to visit the Pure Lake. That's that's what they're referring to here. That's the plague that's being spread. It's a variant on the common cold. Probably the flu, which would be a little stronger, which sounds awfully familiar right now, huh, guys? Liren, the eternal optimist. Yeah, Liren feels like they'll come through. He's going to continue to help people. That's what he does. Uh, no, it's uh, a a full family, like mom, dad, three kids comes in. Oh, yeah. And he's like, well, at least the family's together, but we probably can't feed them. Ah, that's right. Always looking on the bright side, our Liren. Yep, it's true. Uh, Laurel seems to be handling the end of the world better than most. Laurel was the old love interest of uh, Kaladin back when he was a kid, when he was a Kala lad. Yep, and now she's just one of the one of the regular townsfolk and wearing a she's glove a instead of a instead of a safe hand dress yep. thingy. Yep, and is still actually holding her own pretty well. She is. Genius comes in all shapes, like Sputnik, spherical yet pointy in parts. Well, that's what Liren says to Laurel about how genius comes in all shapes and sizes, including the the Herdazi in general. Because it's like he could he could he's shorter than expected is what Laurel notes. And clearly they can look like Sputnik. Well, that was a reference to So I Married an Axe Murderer, which is one of the I better Mike Myers films. I don't get pop culture. I've actually never seen that movie. It's one of the better Mike Myers films. So I hear heroism is a myth. Uh. That's something Liren says? Yeah, he goes on a whole rant about how heroism is how you convince oh. people to 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 die for a cause. 
Right. Is is by telling them they'll be heroes, and it's it's all just propaganda. I mean, he is rather cynical, but it sort of makes sense in reference to this. I mean, he lost Tien, and Kaladin just stopped visiting and doesn't even call. So, yeah. We sent Cal word, he said, as he mounted the gun to the mantle. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, stop looking like guards. Because the Herdazian general pops up and he has some guards with him. And they're acting like guards, which is not not suspicious at all, guys. Dwayne so the Great Mink Johnson. Okay. So his nickname is the Mink, which I think is interesting because the Mink is a type of ferret. And we've seen they're not familiar with many animals. Like, they know chickens. All birds are chickens. But uh, yet they know about minks. Yeah, minks are one of the, one of the animals that um, manage to thrive or one of the mammals that manage to thrive. Hogs are another. Uh, I want to say there's rats. Too. Like, the minks hunt Makes rats. The, the things that are easy to to able to find, like, trash and food and things like that. Uh, Lyran bounces between Hawkeye Pierce and Emperor Palpatine in this scene. What? Wait, wait why Emperor Palpatine? Uh, he's trashing on the rebel general. Oh, okay. Your rebellion is pointless. <laughs> True, it just gets people dead. How could a person possibly read a message and also be male? It's unfathomable. Or this Herdazian general doesn't take that specific restriction of foreignism as seriously as the Alethi do. Yeah, Herdazians are sort of like that. They they know what's supposed to be done, and they claim that they follow foreignism, but they they skirt the edge. Uh, yeah, basically, I I'm pretty sure this this section is implying that the Herdazian general has learned to read, and potentially his guards have as well. Yeah, that's what I gathered. Uh, Liren fakes a limp. So Liren tells one of the guards to fake a limp so that way he can claim he needs surgery. That's how they get them through the door. Uh, Roshan has a great future as a circus clown. He should talk to <laughs> Malin Luca. So Roshan, Roshan is acting as a... As, um, Roshwan. Yeah, Roshwan. A distraction. So that way the guards will be laughing at him as a clown, you know, doing funny things. And that way, the the guards aren't going to be examined closely, including the the mink as one of the guards. Oh, sorry, not guards. The 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 bear. What's the word I'm looking for? They have the thing, and the person lays in the thing. The litter bearer. Yes, thank you. Uh, I wouldn't be caught dead scraping creme in Rochon's old outfits. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, basically, he's he's got a, a a wardrobe change for his new job. Of not being city lord anymore. Yeah. Uh, Liren is beginning to recognize the rhythms. Yeah, so when the guards talk, he can actually note what kind of rhythm they have. For example, when they're laughing at Roshan and talking about him, he can he senses that kind of the joking. I forget what it's referred. I think it's the rhythm of Diversion is probably what they're singing to. And he sort of notices that uh, the singers have an exploitable security loophole. Right. They analyze the person being in the litter that he needs to do surgery on, but they don't really care about the, the litter bears. Good job, guys. To be fair, a drunk idiot is pretty entertaining most of the time. As for shown being a drunk idiot, so the guards will watch him. Yeah, and Liren isn't sure if he's pretending to be drunk or if he just got drunk. Right. Yeah, sure. So it's a good act. Yeah, uh, the plan The plan starts going off without a hitch, then something hitches. <laughs> so it looks like they're about to get away with it until one of the fuse pop up a visitor one of the fuse good news everyone we're putting the town on full lockdown 
<laughs> right. So the the guards were almost through the door, but now they got to look for someone else who happens to be not the mink. I bet it's a new city lord. We're due for another pass at that scene. <laughs> Is that your actual bullet point? Yep. Okay. Uh, don't make him angry. You wouldn't like him when he's angry. Are you talking about Kaladin at this point? Nope. We're we're just finally getting to the the introduction of the fused. Oh, okay. And it's basically Fused Hulk. The Incredible Fused Hulk, which is my next bullet point. Right. Uh, searching for a spy means that f- spy isn't very good at spying. <laughs> if they know there's a spy there, he's not much of a spy, right? A fit and strong spy. I bet it's Matt Damon. Did we cast Matt Damon as Kaladin? No, uh, but he is uh, Jason Bourne, who is <laughs> a fit and strong spy. Yep, yep. I get your reference. Oh no! It's Kaladin. I was right. He isn't very good at spying. I mean, he has some very obvious brands on his forehead. And that's the end of this week's preview chapters. Yep. We get it. It's neat that we have a viewpoint from Laren. This is the first. I don't think we got one. Even one of the flashbacks is always from Kaladin's perspective. So he's helping the people of Hearthstone. Uh, They're collecting refugees from the Herdazian resistance. Um, Overall, and maybe the theme of Rhythm of War is going to be the singers coming around and hel- and working with the Knights Radiant or the other humans. I-, I feel like that has to happen at some point, that Unite Them is referring to all of the people on Roshar, not just humans, not just the Knights Radiant. So perhaps this book is going to work on that, because we do, this is Venli's book, and um, may- maybe she's, she's, we still have the listeners who were able to get away, like the, the older people who they can't do much, but they're still around. We have Relaine, who has a connection to Bridge for not really to the singers or the listeners. But uh, and we have Vinley, who's really starting to think about what she was doing with the fuse and doesn't really like it. So I feel like they're going to come around and we're going to get some people working with the human. Guess we'll have to wait and see. But I think it needs to be done if they're going to face off against Odium. All right. Uh, anything else on this first chapter? Yeah, me. Um, so there's a bit where the um, the Parsh woman, who is now the city lord, what was her name? Um, Abia John, I think. Yeah. Or Yabion. Abion. Abion. That sounds good. Let's call her Abion. Um, she's. So it describes what she's wearing and what all of the uh, Parshmen with her are wearing. And it says that uh, something about all the colors are muted because the Fuse told them that's what the Parshmen used to wear. Yeah. And it it's just like their entire culture was wiped out. The, like they were still alive, but they're, all of their, you know, their thoughts and traditions and stories and, and way of life was... Mm-hmm destroyed right and so now they're kind of floundering like trying to find it you see abion kind of like when she's talking to lirin and questioning him about you know did how did you feel when you were treating me when i was a slave you know because she talks about when she broke her arm as a child and was like you know were you healing me because you're a good doctor and you really do heal everyone or was it because um wistio paid a lot of money for me like right um just um I think I don't that's know. more I, I of don't... a did you actually care that I was a person here or that I was just a an object owned by the city lord. I think that was more of like looking into that. But 
I, I feel like every time in Oathbringer and now that we're getting some kind of reference to the new singers uh, that that used to be the Parsh Parshman. Right. They always and have that. Like they act like the people that they were with. They act like a lethe if they were a lethe Parshman. They act like, you know, uh, what's it called? What's the the bureaucratic one? The Asish. Yeah. If if they were Asians, they act bureaucratic and Asians. Like that's that's what their identity has become. But the right, fuse, because... the fuse are trying to make them like how they used to be because most, I think, all of the fuse are back when humans first, you know, got to Roshar and started fighting them in the first desolation. Like that, that's where the fused are from. That's what they're used to, and they want their singers to be that way. But the singers feel a uh, a greater connection towards the land they were they were born and raised in, like Alethi or Asia or wherever else. And it's just really sad. It is. And I think part of it is that they have to come to grips with their own identity, that they are a mix of singer with whatever the human culture is. Like that's what they are. They're not what they used to be. Yeah. And I don't know. It just, um, it really resonated with me. Like there's, there's been a lot, going on in society right now with the uh, black lives matter and um you know people say if you don't if you don't like it you can go back where you came from well i mean they people whose ancestry is slavery mm -hmm. they they were born here they grew up here there's not a there's yep. not a place they came from to go back to this is it but yeah. it's it is legit and valid for people to care about where their ancestors came from and who their ancestors are and when what kind of a background they have and and I am I am speaking as a Native American person um my um my grandmother on my mother's side um was part of the generation of uh Native Americans that were taken from their homes and put into um white boarding schools where um all of the all of the indian was beaten out of them you know God. and uh and and yet uh her mother still practiced all of the traditions and kept those traditions alive until grandma came back to the family and and so that's the only reason that my generation still knows about these things and um just the idea that there's the culture you grew up in and the culture you identify with, but then there's the culture that you are. And if I had access to the spirits of my warrior ancestors who could actually tell me, no, this is how we did it back then, I think I'd be a little torn also. Right. It's it's a little different in this instance because we have the the warriors from the past who are trying to force them to be a certain culture. Um, rather than the humans, who, which is what they were doing, the humans forcing that, their culture on them. Well, and I didn't see that the Fused were forcing it, because when when the Fused shows up in the camp, you can see Abion is so excited. Um, yeah, like, but I thought we got a little bit of that in Oathbringer, where when the, when the Fused are talking to Venli, they're sort of like, why are you acting this way? Like, why are you still... Why Why is that one have certain Alethi customs that they're doing? Like, they shouldn't be that way. Like, they, they're referencing in Oathbringer, they talk about that. Not, not well, and, it, and it's different for Vinley also because Vinley grew up in kind of um, um, among, like, her people were free and independent the whole time. Yeah. 
Yeah, Venley grew up in an actual developed culture where yep. the the current crop of singers are well, our minds were in a fog until a year ago, and now we're a lethe, but not really. Yeah. Or you know, insert whatever country they happen to wake up in. I, I, honestly, overall, I'm glad that Sanderson's ta- tackling this. Like this is this is stuff that has real world examples and things that have happened, and it's good to analyze it. And look at look at our actions as humans and, w- and what it means. And if anyone can do it, Sanderson can. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think we should wrap up. I agree. Sure. All right. Uh, this has been an extremely long episode, and we're probably going to have one not quite as long, but still very long until November. So bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Good night, Internet. And happy birthday, future Dave, when you eventually get to listen to this. Bye. <laughs> this has been the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at, at CosmereCast or like us on Facebook. Our theme music is Traveling Made Up Continents by Gillicuddy, used with permission. Hear more from him at the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.